0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Coach's Corner University podcast. I am your host, Paul O'Nead, and today I'm joined by Jeff Black, someone who, in a roundabout way, uh, is connected to me. originally through. I originally heard about Jeff through my client, mentee, uh, Meredith Patchy, heard you on the Excellence Cartel podcast. And then it was actually a free live that you did with... Um, Scooby, yourself, Austin, uh, Sam Miller. And I asked a question, and it was the way that you responded that I was like, this is the kind of guy that I want to speak to. Because you you brought it back to the accountability and the empathy that you need to provide a client in solving problems. We aren't the ones who actually solve the problems, they are. And that was the way that you framed your response to the question. And that really resonated with me. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Jeff is uh, an athlete, business owner, coach, author now. Man, welcome. My man, you are uh, too generous. My,
1: my reply. Uh, <laughs> it is an honor to be here. Um, I know when you reached out to me, I was like, well, obviously, I will say yes. You know, um, it's, it's interesting because I think our space and I think you've been around a long time like me, mm-hmm. it's almost like I watch it with my kids that I'm like, you want me to really think for you, don't you? Like, you literally just want me to do this for you. I'm not doing it. And I've kind of like, as a coach, seen like just people make a lot of money off of being able to just think for other people. And I'm like, but mm-hmm. well, what does that do to your long-term value is what you feel about yourself and your business And I don't know, man. So I appreciate the fact you kind of dug that reply because that's how I look at it. I'm like, I don't know. I, as a coach, have to still look at myself in the face every day. And I want to be able to be like, could I maybe have handled that client better? Sure. But did I at least shoot him straight 100? And I just got to move on and off. And I think the industry could get better about that.
0: I think it's a pitfall of, you know, young coaches, especially like, when we started coaching, there was no Instagram. There was Facebook was oh, starting okay. out. You know, yeah. everything was either through email. I remember doing my initial like video reviews through Facebook Messenger, and uh, or emailing videos from YouTube links. You're but- way ahead of me because I was in
1: person. I didn't even get into online coaching until I launched the Excellence Cartel in 2019.
0: Oh wow! Yeah, I think I took yeah. my first remote client in like 2008
1: 2009. Wow, badass man! You're like an OG, like Scoob.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, and I didn't, I didn't scale it really until 2015 when I got out of college strength and conditioning. So I was obviously doing some remote stuff while I was coaching in college. And then, uh, when I got out is when I was like, okay, well, this is the only medium through which I can coach now. I have to look to expand into that. But I think, you know, returning back that, that pitfall of, I need to get eyes on me so that I can sell my service. But at what point does the cost of those eyes become my ethics and morals?
1: It's hard today considering like, uh, I just had one of my friends, he lost his IG account and he, they, without warning, without anything. And it was just because of kind of like his beliefs and some of the stuff he was (laughs) sharing and it completely just like snarled his YouTube efforts. And You know, that that brings up the question of, like, when you're starting a business, you have a lot of eyes on you, and you're going to piss a lot of people off if you're really hard on your ethics and your values, because not a lot of people are anymore. And um, I don't know, man, like, uh, I've taken a break from social media, that was my choice, and my time stepping away, I kind of went like, fuck, I really missed the opportunity to make more money at this. If I could have just looked at it like a business, but I mm-hmm. couldn't because when I got into social media, it was to share my bodybuilding journey. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, man. The reason I got into bodybuilding is one my childhood with my brittle bone disease and, mm-hmm. and all the surgeries I had overcome that I got hit in the face by a bully. I talk about in my book. Um, and I found a bodybuilding magazine and it just kind of got my mind going. I I love the damn sport because even though I have a crippled condition in mm-hmm. essence my bones are brittle i can still show up on stage and place be competitive mm-hmm. i can control my controllables because it makes me a better person i loved bodybuilding for being able to blend in so i didn't really like my coach who i originally worked with Tony AIDS he had no clue i had my brittle bone disease until rx muscle when Dave palumbo was at junior nationals he goes what do you have? Hips are adjusted. Now I'm as bored. bone disease. I, mean, Asbore, bones, he's, oh, I lied. He goes, Oh, I'll see you just... I was like, sure. He goes, well, I want you to <laughs> talk to uh, my editor. We want to do a story about you. And I was like, Oh, like, I didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. Cause I liked the fact that I was being judged based upon what I was presenting. And yeah, you could see an ugly scars and you could see there was difference in my legs. Yeah. But I wanted to be judged on my work ethic and what that represented. And that's right. what bodybuilding allowed me to do. So John Romano, oddly enough, every bodybuilder's dream to have an article about, yeah. him, wrote the article about me. And after that, I, I started getting this not notoriety, but a lot of respect from my fellow brothers in iron who were like, dude, that's crazy that you could break something and you're in there. And I see you doing like 315 and all this stupid stuff. And I'm like, yeah i have just been asking for it. You know what I mean? But that's <laughs> why I got into social media was just because the connection of bodybuilding and yep. I kind of want to share, show my friends, like I love heavy metal. I just bought myself an A string guitar. Like I love writing. I love all these books. I love reading. I love mm-hmm. thinking. And that's why I got into it. I totally missed the, the social media is a business thing. And I think that that's what makes it hard for me Yeah, because I can't kind of throttle that. Like you're saying, you can't kind of throttle something to do with yourself to go all in on the cheese to win
0: and i don't know like i come at it from a few different ways and that i do approach my social media like a business right so there's certain rules about business that you kind of have to abide by i don't post about politics i don't post about religion see i post about both that's why it's my personal right answer. so I, and i and i have thoughts on both but in general sure. they're not necessarily i don't I'm from Canada, right? So our politics are completely fucked anyway. So, um, blame Canada. Yo, fuck yes. <laughs> yeah. um, so I just kind of, I keep it to what the business is about. And I also understand that I am my business. So a certain portion of my social media needs to be dedicated to letting people know about me and who I am and what I stand for within the scope of my business. But when it comes to, the idea of getting eyes on your, on your stuff. I did a, I did a short little like clickbaity reel yesterday uh, sent to my editor. I haven't posted it yet, but it's essentially like, we always talk about, we hate polarizing our politics, yet we continue to polarize health and fitness. And that's where to me, the ethics and morals come into question because if you're a coach worth your salt, which I know that you are, I think there's very few things that you take a hard stance, yes or no on. Very, hundred oh, percent, yeah.
1: Because I've seen it all play out in many different, so many ways now that
0: I'm like, sure. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so to say, X, Y, Z is terrible. To me, that's unethical on my part because that's not what I truly believe. I believe there's a time and place for everything within reason. And if I don't present information in a nuanced way, I know that's not going to get me the eyes that I'm after to sell as much coaching, quote unquote, as I want to sell. But to me, that is the cost that I pay to be ethical and morally sound to myself. You see that the, the disconnect is always there. and I And I think maybe part of it is these kids don't know who they are yet. They don't know what they stand for yet, so they attach themselves to ideas, maybe. But where do you draw the line? Man, this could go so deep with me, Paul.
1: I read (laughs) too much and have done too many psychedelics that now I just kind of just look at people and I'm like, it's okay that you think that way. I do too. Like, hopefully life hits you enough that you change your thoughts. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the, the problem is... It's the same energy to be a victim as it is victor, but the problem is society isn't telling anybody that anymore. So you get kind of a lot of people who go down this path of rah, 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 rah. And I don't think it's anything other than just they don't think for themselves.
0: Yeah. Or
1: this is how they really believe. And if that's how they really believe, then you know what? Cool. I made that mistake too. But don't be offended when someone says, Remember that time? I told you so. You know what I mean? And that I yeah. think that's what's kind of coming. And, and I don't know, man, um, I've kind of taken a, a different stance and it took me a step away from social media for me to kind of see this. Mm-hmm. When I see things that maybe I see someone digging in, digging in, digging in on, I've kind of pulled a couple of my friends aside and been like, hey, look, I know you think this, I get, I respect, I, man, I was there before. And I'll give an example. And I'll be like, but I'll tell you, I read a couple of things, I kind of went through some experiences and that's not really the thing that you'll find to be the one absolute at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I encourage you to think a little bit more and I've kind of just left that with people. And then that gives me my piece to say, I am I did my best to help them correct what I believed and I feel absolved and I go for it. I had to work on that though.
0: That's a That, that displays to me a very high level of, of emotional intelligence because you know, a lot of the, the coaches that I speak to, especially in a mentorship capacity, they, they describe themselves as empaths, which to me makes you a very strong coach. If you're able to put yourself in the shoes of your clients and relate to the problems that they're having, it's a very important skill to have. But what you demonstrated in that exchange is I'm going to provide you my feedback and then I'm going to leave your emotions with you and I'm going to move on because that's not mine to hold. And where I think, I think a lot of younger coaches, they will attach themselves to the emotions of the client and own that when it's not theirs to hold on to and just in that one statement you kind of you like yeah i've done a lot of personal work i'm like i can tell well i'll say this man i you either love to win
1: or you hate to lose i feel if you hate to lose then you never have to experience you always experience winning so it kind of takes care of itself when i can't get through to a client i know i lost i can actually tell every trainer here and i bet you'll agree with me who's listening or anyone out there. The reason that you don't get the success you want on the clients is because you didn't educate them in a way that resonated to make an impact. in one day out of all the days they trained with you for them to see something, Mm -hmm. they couldn't string the wins together. You didn't educate them on stringing the wins together. You didn't educate them in a way that they understood. And I think that's the biggest barrier to entry in our industry Mm -hmm. on where, if you look at John Meadows, prime example back in the day, he, Oh, Could deliver, I think everybody knew that you could just capture it 30 seconds, okay? I got it, bye. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And nowadays, it's so deep. And if I was coming up training today, I don't think I would have enjoyed training like I did back then.
0: I came up (laughs) in 95 96. No, uh,
1: there wasn't anyone going, Hey, your elbow's off by four degrees, you might want to correct that, or Hey, you know, you kind of bounced, or but you didn't see that, you saw guys who didn't time a damn rest set, who didn't do anything, who trained crazy animal animals. Like I saw something I was telling my wife. I said, you know, she, cause I own a gym. I'm like, it's just different. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I think the girls train harder than the guys now.
0: Without question. And she, With she's like, gosh, I've, I've kind of
1: thought that too. And I'm like, okay, so this is real reality. But then if I watch, like I said, like these guys, like I remember Tori and Jason, You remember the old school white hammer strength press machine that actually was that nasty angle that went dead up? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember those guys putting like four plates on each side. Those were the the real plates and then two plates on the damn handles. And then they were (laughs) side lateral and 80 pound dumbbells and it Mm -hmm. looked like shit. But guess what? They had Goldberg shoulders. Right. (laughs) That's what I wanted. And you don't see that anymore. You just don't see like this weird effort got misplaced. I don't know. I'm probably on a tangent, but it goes back to the whole: do we actually educate the client, or do we educate, make ourselves feel smart that they're paying the money they're paying because we're that smart, trying to give them the education? When sometimes it's as simple as you know that tuna pack you're eating out of a can. Yeah, like let's let's try to cook it, or let's try to do this or that. And it's just little stuff. You don't really have to dig too much. But each week, feedback that helps them helps you retain clients.
0: Man, I, okay, so I'd love to dive into the psychology of this a little bit because it's something that's fascinated me, especially like being in the education space, having to relate to a different generation who has had a different upbringing with different exposures. I found that the motivations are completely different. My generation motivated more so by action. And we wanted to learn as we go. I remember going to the gym with my fucking animal pack workout like Frank Frank McGrath's chest workout and just smashing away at it for weeks on end until I was like, okay, I think I need something new now. Whereas this generation, if you look at it from top to bottom, whether we're talking athletes, students, whatever, to them, it's not worth starting unless they believe that it's the right way to do it.
1: Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And back for me, it was as simple as, oh, Lee Priest knew Back workouts out, sweet seven sets, five exercises, sounds reasonable. I'm doing it, you know.
0: <laughs> sounds reasonable, <laughs> and, I,
1: and that was like what, what yeah. went on, you know. And and I don't know, man. I, it just looks like it wouldn't be fun. And I think when it comes to the psychology of stuff, like every and I, I got this from studying neurolinguistic programming. Everybody's seeing a movie. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of helping them see the movie that they need to see. And if you know like they're that. seeing the movie that says that this is the way, then your job is to say, okay, but like maybe, I don't know, homie um, over here. If you look at business model, a has a $10 million operation, but what Mm -hmm. you don't know is that's $10 million over 10 years because he spent the first 20 years losing $10 million only making mistakes. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I tried to correlate to people like, It is what it is, but you got to kind of work for shit. And if you're a bum and people like that who can just Trump-born, dad's rich, gives you a million, and you're able to play the right cards, like those are the rare, rare, rare extremes. Hard work is going to be your best reward.
0: Yeah. It's – I feel as though the ones who get it these days are able to blend the hard work with the intelligent approach. But at the end of the day, I'm probably one of the most type A, like – neurotic people when it comes to things that really interest me, training, nutrition, science. I could give a fuck about anything else. But in general, I am motivated through action. So there even there are times when you know I have to tell my coach, I'm like, hey, listen, I'm not going to video anything today. I'm just going to train. Or a I oh, great day. Um <laughs> or hey, can you just tell me what you want to see from me so I don't have to think about this? Let me go in, let me smash some weights and we'll move on with our lives. And I do use the same stuff with my clients. You have to be able, like you said, we need to get a desired outcome, but the way that we get that desired outcome must be tailored to that individual, their interests, their needs, and what makes them tick. And I think we only get that way through learning about ourselves, working with a lot of clients, and having that massive toolbox to pull from in terms of how do we apply what tool to what person at what time to get them to see what we want them to see. All right, so I'm going to just tell you something
1: that's going to blow your mind. i yeah the please you people I did. I think I said it on pod, maybe one of the podcasts I did. If you do 75 hard, it's phase three. You got to talk to people every day, like 30 days straight, different people. And I was like, okay, I could do this easy in my gym. But then I started thinking like, well, how's that really helped me? And 75 hard has nothing. It's not a fitness challenge. really is more of a mental challenge, which is mm-hmm. why I actually enjoyed it. Um, but I decided to go to Publix, which is a grocery store. And I decided to go ask random people like, Hey, if I was like seeing a grocery cart, I'd be like, Hey, would you like, I go, I'm a health and fitness coach. I coach people. I do personally. Can I look at your cart and kind of, Would you like some healthy tips? Everybody said, sure. So then, mm-hmm. the easy ones were usually the seed oils you could converse about. Yeah. Right. And I'd be like, by the way, do you know what a functional nutritionist is? No. Do you know what a hypertrophy programming super duper super cyan coach is? No. Do you know much about gut health? No, just probiotics. Okay. Would it shock you that I could look at blood work or their urine-based tests out there that could actually tell you hormones that could really change your life? What? Really? Yeah. What's your idea? Actually, my last question was, what's your idea of a personal trainer or a nutritionist? The answers were advocate people. The answers were the it works, it wraps people. Like we were those wraps that just sweat the weight off you or whatever that shit was. Okay, yeah. Trainers who hold clipboards, or something similar to the high school gym class, like a CrossFit F forty five, where they just scream and yell at you, or whatever it is for forty five minutes pounding out. Nobody knows what the fuck we actually do. So, like, that's where I'm like, when people bitch about, they're like on social media. I'm like, if people don't know this at like a grocery store. Who, let's be honest, like I was just at the Health Hybrid Summit with uh, in um, Fort Lauderdale with the New Ethics Team because I'm a sponsored athlete athlete at mm-hmm. New Ethics Formulations. And they were like showing stunning numbers. I remember Ben Azzita who he wrote Keto Flex, which is an amazing book explaining how you actually do keto people like keto is good. If you need to reset people, there's a time and a place. And you're talking like it's 92% of the population is like pretty much metabolically dysfunction due to seed oils and different things like that. And then how do you start telling people like, well, that thing you buy all the time, that fat lasts two years in your body. People's minds get blown, but they think really bad of us, Ball. They think we're just people who are just going to sell them supplements, sell them a bullshit training program when all they really want to know is like, what can I kind of do to start really changing my life now? And I tell everybody, if you just start going through the grocery stores on a Sunday afternoon, I guarantee you could pick up probably 30 clients in the course of 30 days. It's funny. (laughs) One of my
0: (laughs) favorite, uh, one of my favorite pieces of homework to give new, uh, new coaching mentees is whenever the barista at Starbucks asks them about their day, I ask them to be excited about their coaching and tell them what they do for a living.
1: I think that's a good thing. It informs people what the hell we do, but nobody knows what we do. So everybody on TikTok, Instagram, real land—most of those people are looking
0: by anyway. Well, it's an echo chamber too because you look at the percentage of Facebook and or Instagram and TikTok that's actually fitness. It it self-selects for people who are interested in fitness. So if you want to look and expand the industry and bring more people into it, you're going to have to have those conversations in a Publix or in a grocery store um, to be able to educate people on exactly what you do. And if you're not able to have that conversation in person and explain to someone who has no idea what you do, what you do, how are you going to sell your service? 100%.
1: Most everybody's sick. You just need to help them start feeling better. And it can be, it doesn't have to be much, but everybody's trying to think these complex things. Like when I onboard you as a client, I send you a video showing you how to use the scale, how to weigh out a salad, how to weigh out your meat, Mm -hmm. how I weigh out my protein, how I weigh out my peanut butter, but zero out the spoon first, (laughs) you know, things like that. Cause these are things people don't know. Yep, and I tell everybody they're never going to understand if their progesterone sucks <laughs> unless you find out that like maybe she's in her thirty six and she's on two antidepressants plus Ambilify. Well, that could be a strong signal that you want to have the conversation. But if you can't get her feeling better in other areas, she's not going to trust you to take those other steps. And I think sometimes we over we we put the cart before the horse. Whatever saying you want to use with that question. And I, I, you know, there's always been that whole argument of like, it's functional, is this needed, is that needed? I'm like, yes, it's all needed. The question is, how do you break through to the client perspective customer in a way that connects that they go, oh my God, like that's yeah. something simple. And then they catch the latch on and go from there.
0: That level of simplicity, I think is probably the biggest barrier to entry because it, from a psychological standpoint, it's much easier to admit that you can't solve a complex problem than it is to admit that you can't solve a simple one. This is a conversation I had with Mare and Sarah in that all of these, let's say, you know, these gut health protocols, hormone reset protocols, even like insulin resistance protocols, mm-hmm. they all start with single ingredient whole foods, better sleep, better stress management, and more movement. Ding, 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 ding. But if you want to sell a high-ticket coaching product and someone's coming to you for that high-level solution because that's what they believe that they need your ability to sell them on simplicity is probably the most valuable asset that you have as a coach.
1: 100%, 100%. You know, when people write content, I found this out when I wrote my book and just kind of got into more writing with Steve and kind of mentoring me. The Hemingway Editor, if you go to HemingwayEditor.com, if you are input your, what your content is in there, it'll tell you the grade level that you wrote it at. If really? You write it above a, if you write it above a sixth grade level... Like, and you do the, you start looking in the Google, on the good old Google machine. Um, you will see that when your content gets above like fifth grade, sixth grade, that people start tuning out. So well, there's really you, Yeah. So this is why I try to tell people if you can't figure out how to dumb it down with your words, it's never really going to connect. And you're all in you know, let's be honest, the coaching industry is mostly coaches commenting on coaches stuff going, yeah, it uh, for people out in the back or let's LFG or <laughs> other shit like that. I'm like, that's great. But like, I really hope like my sister's friend in that $1.2 million neighborhood she lives in where all the houses started, like read that, saw that on the person, <laughs> you know what I mean? That can right. help her through her pain. It doesn't matter about that. And that's where I'm like, I tell everybody, the content doesn't have to be overly complex. It's got to connect. Once you connect, then it's your job to be overly complex to
0: solve the simple initial problem. I love that. Um so let's let's keep going down the rabbit hole of writing because writing a book has been something that I've had on my mind for a while. I just don't know what I would write about per se. Um Hey, okay, well what interests you? Well of course yeah you know I I've had, I've had a few ideas and I've had a few well give uh, us some let's work it.
1: See, see I'm supposed you, to be interviewing. Put you. Host, I'll put the host on the spot back. I don't care. Let's come on, <laughs> give us a give us a couple of ideas because I'd just be fascinated to see what you're thinking about because my book was about my life. So that was easy for me. Honestly, I I'm writing debating, about something was, different.
0: So I'm like, ooh. I was debating and doing it about life, but I was also debating doing it more like an educational style. Um, because mm. I do feel that I have a a pretty good way of communicating complex topics simply. Um And it's something that i pride myself on the other thing that i would love to bring in is just an element of philosophy to the coaching process because i think a missing piece within a lot of coaches process when dealing with clients is an inability to self-assess and realize that our own personal situations within the moment filter the way that we view our interactions with our clients and you know a lot of the time we put our own emotions onto our clients and that limits their ability to grow and, and and progress. So I was, you know, different things in that in that range. Um, so I've just started writing more, just in general. A lot of the stuff doesn't get published. A lot of the stuff is just sitting in my computer and journals. But uh, yeah, that's how I've kind of started the process. What made you write a book or what like, inspired you to write a book about your life? Honestly, I asked Stephen Pressfield too many questions.
1: That's really how it came down. <laughs> I hit him up. I'm a big fan of him. He's New York Times bestselling author. He wrote a book called Turning Pro, which is basically you know, going from amateur to pro. And yep. like what that journey really is like. Resistance sucks. You're going to just... It, it is interesting. It's 174 pages of Hit You in the Nut material. Always been a fan. I read it at the end of every year. And I hit him up in 2020. He came on our podcast. It was a great podcast. Hit him up a second time. Came on. After we got done, he's like... I really think you should write a book. He's like, your story is very unique. I've been following you. I think it'd be cool. And I was like, all right, all right. And then I started emailing him just a couple of things. He said, I'll meet with you next Wednesday at 1030. I'm like, okay. And he's like, all right, so here's what I'm gonna do for you. I'm gonna meet with you every month and you better have something for me to talk about. And he goes, I'm gonna hold you accountable to do this. So I'm like, Oh, okay. So, I mean, you got a fucking New York Times bestseller.
0: Holy shit. 30
1: minutes out of his day once a month. And I wrote the book. I got to 105, 102,000 words. And he goes, okay, great. Get it to 65,000. I said, what? He goes, it's too much clutter. I can already tell you. He goes, those aren't your precision thoughts. It's got to be precision thoughts. And what came of it, Jason Theobald Scooby read the, the copy that I have that I'm actually waiting for Prince to come back. And he said it was like a very, he said the book's a very raw therapy session. And so by him challenging me, you got a very raw therapy session book out of me.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I go through all my traumas. I go through wanting to kill myself that when suicide sat down with me at like a young age and how I idealized it, I just think shit about living. I was It's a very bare book. And mm-hmm. then I had to use psychedelics and, how that screwed with me a little bit because, you know, I was raised red down here in Tennessee um, where God, guns and faith and, yep. and I was raised Roman Catholic and I felt like I was betraying my God to have to take this legal drug that could make me lose my mind. And I don't know, I just, it was a great book and and that's honestly, man, how it came to be. Uh, he, he just met with me, took a chance on me. Uh, I flew out to California back in August. If you check out, if you go on YouTube and type in ATG after dark, uh, you will see where Steven Pressfield actually interviewed me for my book. Uh, we flew out there. We did it. Um, he had me come to his home. i met him the next day at four thirty. Got to go train at Venice gym beach gold gym with him. He goes every day, Monday through Saturday,
0: Steven Pressfield trains at four
1: 30. He's got a trainer. He warms up. They start at five. Um, they're done at six. He then uh, stretches for 30 minutes, showers, and then he goes across the street to this place where he has coffee and a high protein, uh, decently like carbohydrate, fruit based breakfast. And then he goes home, sips, gets another his coffee's there ready for him because his uh, partner Diane is there, and uh, he begins to write from nine a.m. until he makes his first mistakes, which are usually around two to three p.m. He said. And then after that, it's he handles work mistake. emails. Yep, he said. Once I start making too many mistakes, it pisses me off. Is when I stop. It's usually after five hours. I was like, so you sit there and write and flow for five hours. He's like, yep, I can get it. And we we're just chatting about flow techniques. Yeah, I remember like when I was writing, there'd be times like I would sit there and be like, oh my God, like it's going to be, because I set like a writing goal every time I did a writing block mm-hmm. and just, just to sit there and stare menacingly at yourself, like, holy shit, I have to come up with something. You don't know where you're going to begin. So often I would just start writing about what I, I would be like, all right, I'm going to think about this. And I would just start typing knowing I would get it into flow yeah because flow will all if you do look at the research of Stephen Kotler the art of impossible is a great read everybody don't shortchange this listen to it but I was microdosing LSD um smoking a little on the on a pot and then drinking a black coffee and it helps you get into flow quicker but in order to beat flow or get into flow you have to beat resistance and that means you have to kind of like push past that yes and then you'll get in there. And dude, I'd be locked in. And there sometimes I'd rip out 5,000 words. It, it, and that's why I tell everybody, when you write, you just got to set a timer like he did. That's and actually his exactly timer what was that. Yep, Yep, yep. Nope, that's the best trick you could do. And and write, this is something I tell everybody, you could do it two ways. You could write it out. And I chose to do it this way. I just kept writing. It, and if I knew I was to make mistakes, I didn't care. Yes. Because I think so fast. I have to just do it. Go back, clean it up, and then put it in an app called Grammarly. Um, grammarly will clean up Pay for the professional version. If you're a business, there's no reason you shouldn't have professional grammar. Um, and that helps clean it up a lot. And I, you know, I asked this question at the seminar, Jordan Syatt was down there about social media. I said, what do you think about AI? Do you think originality is going to be the sword? And he's like, absolutely. Cause yeah. everybody's going to do AI to shortcut it. The problem is everybody's content is going to look kind of the same because of that. And if your tone of voice, if your writing voice comes across strong, that will be your sword against the lazy people. So writing is absolutely a skill that any business owner should invest in. And I'm glad I did. I'm working on my second book. But that book was a PhD on me. And it got a lot. Like, I'm a very peaceful man because of it now. Like Some of my friends like, dude, you've changed since you wrote that book. I said, yeah, dude, I was able to bury everything that haunted me in a really clean, nice way.
0: So it was was good. That's one thing I was actually noticing is like your speech cadence is, is it's not slow, but it's, it's methodical. And I can tell that when you speak, you choose your words very carefully, which is something that I think as a professional is very important. And, you know, in this day and age of everyone pulling up shit about anything you say and canceling people left, right and center, I think better off to choose your words carefully, especially when you're talking about contentious topics. But I think, you know, the catharsis of telling your life story, when I started going to therapy in 2014, that was the first thing I did. I just wrote about what happened, and why I was there, what my childhood, everything along the lines. And it was probably the most formative, I would say, six months of my life, writing all that shit out
1: yeah i have a question
0: for you did you
1: choose to date around and go to multiple counselors per se or did you kind of find one and just let it rip
0: i got really lucky i got really really lucky um so a good family friend of ours is a therapist and i reached out to her and i said hey i'm not really comfortable going to see you these are the problems that i'm running smart yeah just i said yeah no Uh, these are the problems i'm running into um do you have someone you would recommend? And I would prefer a woman, not a man. And the reason I, I personally prefer speaking to a female therapist is, I don't want another dude to be broy with me. And I feel much more comfortable and less inhibited speaking to a female than a male. I know that some some dudes might not feel that way, um, but uh, yeah, I got really lucky and she's been my therapist since 20, 2014. Took a few year break in the middle there. I I went for like two years straight, took like three or four years off. And then since 2019, I've been going, at first it was once a week. Then it was, you know, once every two weeks. Now it's once a month.
1: I think that that's important. I think any entrepreneur actually should go and talk. And I still go once a quarter to my guy. Um, Even now, uh, it could be something like a 20-minute phone call that we might do just to kind of, just so I could just get some shit off my chest. Um, I actually had a date around mine was, I could tell people were uncomfortable by things I talked about. Um, medication was often something. So I did that. And then the times I didn't want to try it, they'd be very again. You know, you could just tell finally I'm this older guy. I walked in and I was like, all man, right, ma'am, I'll be honest. Like, if this is going to work, I need to know, like, tell me a little dirt on you. Cause I'm about <laughs> to tell you every, I'm about to tell you every, all my dirt. And that's something like I want to tell people, like, if you really want counseling at work, you got to go in there will and be like, look, I mean, when I was a kid and I was idealized pain because I assumed pain was progress, it got me through my bone disease. I started when I wasn't in pain for my bones, they can start cutting the inner upper thighs or would slam my hand in a door and da, da, da. like you're going to be telling people some real usual disturbing yeah. shit about yourself if you're going to do the work. And the work is the disturbing shit you want to get out. And he's like, yeah, man, I was being an alcoholic. Blew out my whole family, my whole life, blah, 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 blah. that second shot. And that's why I stand before you. And he only takes male CEOs. You have to own a small business or something like that. And it's great because he gives you like real advice. He'll, yeah. he'll give you stuff like, well, man, this the other day, this small business owner I trained had the same ass complaint happen. Deal. Move on. Okay. Yeah. You know, like, I, uh... it's very nice.
0: I definitely wouldn't be here doing the things that I'm doing if I hadn't gone to therapy. Um, good.
1: Let's normalize therapy as male for men. Oh. I think that's a huge thing. Listen, if you want to go and just talk about dumb shit, that's you, waste your time. But if you want to grow up and become an actual man, like that's like the big thing. Like when I tell my kids, I'm like, when I give you advice that sounds harsh, it's because I wish a man had pulled me aside and said that is stupid as shit. Don't do that or think like that. Here's
0: XYZ go forward okay so this is completely outside the scope of coaching and I don't even care um one of the things that I actually battled when I was speaking to my therapist was I found a lot of the therapy techniques go back to childhood and I am so fortunate to have been chosen to have the parents that I have two incredible human beings um obviously no human is perfect and so understanding that they did the best they had with the tools available to them. And you are still the amalgamation of both of your parents' bullshit as well. A hundred. So that was probably one of the hardest parts to me was admitting like, you know, they could have done better in certain instances, but they're just amazing people. And, you know, we, we got married three weeks ago now. Congratulations. Thank you. And to be able to, you know, stand up there and thank them for all that they did for me. It was just a phenomenal experience. And I never, and I, sp- I speak very openly about my therapy, especially with my wife, with my parents, because I think it's important that the people who, who love me understand me as a person. Now I actually, I'm going to use a different word than understand because it's not their responsibility to understand. It's their responsibility to like, they just need to hear me. Yeah. Yeah. Right? No one is going to understand you fully. Hopefully, your your partner does—the person that you spend the most time with—and I'm very grateful that mine does. Um, but there's also a lot of things that she doesn't understand, and she lets me own those things.
1: I know we got to get back into coaching, but I want to say one yeah, important yeah. thing just to go up on this. I had to learn that a lot in relationships, as man that women don't always—they always want me to fix something. Sometimes they just wanted to hear me. And I probably could have gone be heard, and I could have gone through. A lot less pain I <laughs> someone told me that when I was younger because as men we always try to fix things, I try to fix things about everything all the time, everywhere. Your job is and fixing things, yeah. Job things fix things, and sometimes you just need to just listen, and that goes for men too. Yeah. That's how you know we have I have a guy group, we hang out, we just listen to each other. No one's trying to fix anyone. It's just blah, and this is what it is. But anyway, that was a fascinating topic. I appreciate you sharing that because I think yeah. even if you're even if you're female you could benefit from that that point there too
0: with that question with that question all right let's let's flip it back to business a little bit sure so you have your coaching business you also have iron house mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about like which came first
1: ah uh, so i was uh i worked for the department of homeland security from 2002 to 2007 okay In 2005 i couldn't stand uh working any more overtime <laughs> And this guy at my gym, Clint, he had taken over the training department. Uh, kept bugging me to join his team because he saw my workout partner who worked for me at Homeland Security. The guy dropped like forty pounds six months. He was going through a divorce. Nice. So he obviously knew I knew what I, what I was talking about. I looked like it too. So I was like, "No, nah, I'm not interested. Trainers, are losers. You guys just spend time stretching checks, holding clipboards. I'm I'm cool with that. I don't yeah. do anything. I make enough money. Work for the government. Thanks. Bye." Yeah. So that really watched them like change. Like I watched these trainers, like, wow, that guy actually like had a chick squat for eight reps. Say, what? Uh, under a barbell. And like I could start seeing it. So one day I was leaving, I was like, Hey man, you still doing trainer things? He said, yeah. And so I went in for an interview. He laughed because I showed up in a suit. I was trying to be a professional.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and he was there in his gym clothes. And um got my first client, man. Um She wanted to to wear uh, the sexy piece of lingerie for her 10 year anniversary in like 12 weeks. And I said, sure, and we'll do it. And then she came in a couple months later, picking me up, and I'm not a little guy swinging me around. And she accomplished her goal and she felt great. And thank you for that. I was like, you know, this feels good. Like, this is nice. You know, I'm in a cesspool where people yell at me for walking through the metal detector, me having to back up one of my people. Uh, because the guy was a dumbass and forgot to take his cell phone and keys out of his pockets before he walked through the metal detector. But somehow it's this person's fault today yeah. uh, that you're the dumb fuck, you know? And I, I was getting yelled, scream at. It was just awful work environment, man. If you work in the government, anyone out there is nodding their head slowly. Like, yep, yep. Doesn't matter what level. They all suck. It's all bureaucratic nepotism. Um, but in 2007, I decided to step out my own. And right when that happened, the American economy collapsed due to usual bullshit and rich people won't do. And, um, my business grew. And what happened was I was getting 40 and 50 year olds. You know, I started, I wanted to be like Connie. I wanted to be like Chris Seto. I didn't want to train new no peasant gym pop people. Right. I wanted to train like Jose Raymond. I wanted him to give me a call, you know, like someone like that. That's what we're all thinking. When you first get into it, like, Oh, I'm going to get like Tom Brady, you know what I mean? Or something. Yeah you're thinking this high level stuff but then what i started getting was all these gym pop people whose 401ks have been wiped out and i'm like all right and then i just found out they were just cool people and they just really didn't know any better and someone would really try hard and progress and really make some kill i was like all right this is cool this is cool actually you know what i actually kind of get through these people more than my own people all right this is nice do you know what i mean and off i went man um 2010, I stepped out on my own, and in 2015, I had a chance to acquire Iron House, my uh, now-deceased business partner, Derek. He passed away in 2018 at 37 from pancreatic cancer. Um, so I bought the remaining part of his stock, and um, we started with 42 members. As of today, we are just shy of 1,000 with 8, Holy 000. shit. Um, and I am a complete debt-free entity with two to three pieces of every single equipment that runs, Contractor trainers through the facility. Um, so that way, the members get their experience. We get ours. We're the most expensive gym by $40 a month average. We sell supplements. We have a massage therapist and our body workout. I to get a physical therapist there. I've done a really good job in my staff of being able to be hungry for integrating vertical integration. Um, and then now we're looking at adding another 6,000 square feet or I was approached by the town over to take over 21,000 square feet and anchor down a big facility in this new big project they're looking to build. So we have a lot of options, you know, and I, I oh, tell yeah. everybody, um, I would not have gotten those options by not listening to people smarter than me, uh, by not having people who were around me when I wanted to quit to remind me that this was the juice I asked to squeeze. You know what I mean? And sure. I, okay. you're right. You're right. Okay. I should shut up and keep going um and by a lot of me just willing to not collect a paycheck like most entrepreneurs do i was willing to pay people more money to work alongside me um take less and just really kind of make sure i had a training brand that sustained no matter what and i allowed the company to build that way um so that's kind of it
0: (laughs) there's a lot to tease out of that um yeah no there really is but that was how i did it that's freaking amazing man like that the thousand members and the price point. Like that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is people will pay for quality. All my equipment's
1: Arsenal, Legend, Life Fitness, Cybex, Hammer Strength. Mine, I have literally three to four sets of every single dumbbell. Um, all my plates are complete steel. We yeah, like all quality. our treadmills, top end, uh, those uh woodways that you can run on. yeah. Yeah, yeah we have all those. So, like, it's pretty much four power racks, three benches, plus an incline, two Smiths, two hack squats, a pendulum, a belt squat. A, I mean, it's just all, all anything you could want, I have. And I created a facility where it's very interesting. You'll see a mom of three powerlifting and squatting, and then you'll see some bodybuilder, and then you'll see some teenager, and then you'll see some just average mom in there who just wants to, like, feel good for her life. It's very Eclectic gym. I actually don't have many bodybuilders in my gym. It's probably why my gym's so good. No offense. Oh, it's so
0: clean good. and quiet.
1: <laughs> Dude, that's one thing. Like, we focused on this. We focused on controllable assets that most companies don't do. Currency people. I believe that the fastest way gyms die is turnover at the front of house. Oh, I was going to sure. pay people more money to stay consistently with our brand. Mm-hmm. I felt that women... Would be better to run a gym because they would give me the eyes to the things that I wouldn't see, like turn that leg machine this way. Put that there. So if this girl does this, this you know what I mean? Different sets of eyes, especially for apparel, um, supplements, things, just things you wouldn't honestly think about. Um, and I chose to just pay more there. And the other thing was cleanliness. Uh, you can walk by any of my equipment, there's no dust on it at all at any times. Uh, all our plates are all racked and organized we have staff who walks through and organizes equipment every 30 minutes on the gym floor to make sure it is in order the members are taught to put things in when we do tours we're like hey we keep things clean and orderly so you will always know where to find it and the third thing is i just wanted people to have a chick-fil-a gym experience man like there's no reason for me to be more swole than you or you may be more swole than me i just wanted people to be like hey what's up how are you you having a good day okay People talk to you great, but my staff knows to talk to everybody. And that's something that we really like take pride. I admit I'm not the best sometimes because I walk in, I'm, my whole days are on fire, but you know, yeah, that's yeah. something I've had to learn as a as a business owner in the, in the journey. And those are the three things we really try to control and just provide the quality there. And of course have a quality product, but those are three controllables you can control.
0: What entice you to not pull a salary and how long did you not pull a salary from the gym
1: uh i just started pulling a salary last year and it's a measly 1450 dollars a month just so and my accountant says it looks good and i'm like okay done i chose to live strictly off my training money yeah. That's um, ask, yeah. and i think that that's how you grow a business the longer you can go without your salary the further you're gonna go um and because of that, you know, I'm just shy of being a million-dollar product by myself. And most people do not get that unless they have two gyms. And you know, we've done it with one. The vertical vertical integration was the biggest thing we've done. Like we have we have meals in there, um, water bottles, ghost energy drinks, bang energy drinks, protein bars, beef jerky, rice crispy treats, anything you could think of that bodybuilders workout people are using, you can buy at our gym. And then the key thing I did was this, I told the members the supplement store, I would take a percentage every month and put it into account. And at the end of the year, what well, that money is, I'd buy new equipment. And guess what? There's always about 15, $16,000 in there. And I'm always able to buy new equipment every year.
0: I think I think that's a huge lesson for anyone who's actually looking to open a gym because I hear it all the time. And I get asked all the time, hey, when are you gonna open a gym? I've done the business model a thousand times in my life cuz as a meathead all you want to do is have your own business uh, have your own training space. Yeah. There's two two reasons that I haven't opened a gym. Number one is I don't want to be tied to a specific place. Ah uh, yeah, which is which is a challenge. And number two because I think it would limit my ability to do the other things that I really love doing while I built that business. But you didn't happen to do that, can you? Like, do you sleep? <laughs> <laughs> um, I
1: worked from literally eighteen all the way up till it was thirty seven when the girl I was seeing at a time she was finally like, "All right, I'll take I'll take this day off if you'll take off because I was working seven days a week." So yeah. "All right," so I went down to six. Um, the reason the gym became what the gym became is the old business owner looked at Derek and I was like, I'm closing it. And Derek kind of like, what the fuck? We each had like 40, 50 people in person. Yeah. Derek actually was an interesting phenomenon. He came to me. It was 440 pounds. He dropped all the way to 250, And all he did was just go around and he would go to overeaters anonymous. He would go to the grocery store and talk to people and things like that. And that's how he built his clients. So he was the first person I ever saw who managed to get like a lot of obese and quote people into a gym it was it was very interesting that's why i was like you can build a model of health fitness because everybody has different levels of health and fitness to them that they're applicable yes. to to achieve um but to answer your question no i sleep pretty well uh i'm just very very structured meaning i get it now you day probably day. sleep
0: on a bed of money <laughs> no actually, I <laughs> <don't>. wish <laughs> I
1: um you know and i think that's something like i don't chase money anymore and what I say by this is in the beginning, you get into the whole you're chasing money because you just want to sure. know if you're winning or not. Yeah. Now it's more like, I just want more money so I could create more. You know what I mean? Like, I just now know that what I can do with it. So it's a completely different way of looking at money. And that was just by someone who was raised by Irish poor people that was just kind of like, my mom was like, you just poured all your money and work yourself to dust. And it's like, oh my God. But um, I'm very structured. And I think that's something that people... Mm-hmm have to understand about entrepreneurship i tell everybody who jumps in i'm like good i hope it's good for you but how are you going to be someone that's foaming at the mouth to get on their phone at 5 a.m to answer emails and is able to lock it up at 5 p.m to recharge just enough to be hungry enough to whip your ass tomorrow And we won't do that every day for years on end and they're like what do you mean i'm like you have to be disciplined to that calendar my friend from five to five it's got to tell your whole day and for mine it was like five to eight for a long time so
0: now it's five it's to like five five to sorry. nine right
1: now yeah and, and one of those things man i really did was i just started putting hard boundaries in oh yeah and just it was just like i wouldn't do it um and i'll be honest the moment i kind of like went from sleeping five six hours a night to seven eight i saw the productivity show up i would never once you do that as a business owner, ball once you do it you'll be like this oh i well, sleep sleep's well, actually well, the well,
0: one thing i never give up sleep yeah no, seven hours minimum every night <sighs> Um, Wow! And that's actually because because of therapy. Because I found that my mental health takes a huge dip when I don't sleep. So seven hours of sleep is my minimum every night. Um, And of course, there's exceptions with like flights or you know events. Like I probably won't get seven hours tonight because I've never been to a Lakers game and the Lakers are playing the Houston Rockets tonight. So we're going to the game. And I was like, I got to wake up at five tomorrow, but I'm going to this game regardless. End of story. Um, But yeah, I. Being you can you can look at it as being a slave to your calendar or being disciplined to your calendar. But to me, like my calendar is I look at it as impact. Like every hour of my day is meant to impact others and in turn return that to myself, whether it's reviewing videos for my clients, check-ins, uh, podcasting. Content development, mentorship calls, whatever it might be. If I don't schedule my day the way that it needs to from 5 a.m. to 9 p.m., I don't get to do the cool things that I want to do. Have you ever heard of something known as theme days? Theme
1: days? No. So I trained the CEO, and there's this book I kept years ago. He told me to get it. The guy has an idea of theme days, and it's like Monday is your content day, Tuesday is your marketing day, Wednesday, we like check in day, Thursday, client check in day, Friday, meeting day. Yep, I did that for a long time, and that gained me so much traction that now I do that. And I still, to this day, have an eight hour content day once a week. And I, the other last night when we were at or we were at uh, hybrid health summit, chasing. This guy made a comment about content. I said, I got him B. I pulled out my phone and I showed Jason where I had 1,700 things written that I just never shared with anybody that are completely done anywhere from 500 to 12, 2,000 word things. And he was like, what the hell is wrong with you? Yeah. And I was like, that's a content creation day. Because when you're in flow, you can do anything yeah. you want. And that's why I tell people there's power to that.
0: There is power to that. I think for me, I know that my workflows, I do really good in two hour blocks. So mm-hmm. I can't. I can get into flow very quickly, but I get out of it very quickly too. So for me, that two hour mark is kind of like my end and the beauty of the way that, you know, I do coaching, I do mentorship, I do education. I can just switch from one element to the next and get right into a flow doing that. And so the novelty of that does it well. So I use a concept called non-negotiables where I will take all of my business to-do list for the week and I'll separate it into days in terms of blocks each day. So I know that, every day i have a content development day from five content development block from 5 30 to 7 p.m i know that every morning from five to six i do my client work in the morning first thing get up go do it and then throughout the day different meetings and things like that from 7 to 11 a.m is training and eating and every day that's that so it's similar like i have more theme blocks and i just pepper them right the week but no, that it's makes sense concept, well, it's for, for people sure. to hear that because these are practical
1: tools. People could be like, well, one word for one guy, one for a try and see what works for you. Exactly. If I do better in one long flow, get this one thing done and I got to worry about it. And that does well for me. So that's great that you share that.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. I do want to touch on bodybuilding a little bit because I sure. thought, I think it's really, you mentioned, so you have the brittle bone disease. Yes, sir. Standing on stage competing against people. I feel like in your context no one gives a like no judges give a fuck how hard it was for you to be on that stage. Exactly, that's why I love it. They just give a shit about what you look like. Yeah. And there's there's a fantastic element there because for me I knew that the end point wouldn't be anything for me to be proud of. Like I knew I was not going to be competitive on a bodybuilding stage. And it's just an element of I, maybe I maybe some no one shows up I built like a square my midsection is thick as fuck and I have huge ass small legs because I've been powerlifting for the last 14 years <laughs> okay I squat 800 pounds you'd never know um so I knew I'm like the only thing I have control over is the process to get to the stage right so the stage was just kind of like an afterthought for me I wanted to be ingrained in the process whereas for you it was a bit flipped in that no one gives a fuck about your process, but you knew you could stand on stage. Right. How did that mindset come about?
1: Well, man, I'll be honest with you. The first few times I competed, uh, I did well. Like I remember uh, for me, like my expectations, I was just like, all right, as long as I don't get last. And I took fifth out of like 13, 15 guys. And that was the lightest guy, about 20 pounds. Wow. And then next week I got fifth in the actual lightweight open class. Um, And uh, that was back when like, People used to show up 10, 12, 15 deep in your class. And I kept steadily improving. And then in 2008, I felt like I was misjudged. Like I showed up peeled. It's the first time I had lower back striations, glutes. Like, hey, hate to break into the bodybuilders out there. It's perfectly normal to have to go through three or four shows before some body parts come in. And I think we're all like not understanding that anymore because, you know, you see someone like me. I'm like, well, I'm 43. I'm going to have a strided ass. I've been competing since 2006. Yeah um so it was after people started seeing pictures and we be like so why didn't you win i'm like well my left leg smaller throw i'll lose the symmetry around and they're like yeah but that guy's got like no back or is fat like I, I don't know man it's up to you and that when i like heard all that i was like okay if i have a choice here i could go down this path of like i'm pissed about my placing or i can go down this path of like I'm doing this for me i'm trying to beat myself and it's something people never said i would be able to do i really love it how far can i shove this fucking thing and that was when i just decided to like look on that end of it like competing to me is just a matter of learning about how much i can endure and learning something about myself i think that that's why people should do preps i'm like if you get like some great trophies and you become a great bodybuilder that's awesome but it's what you find in the process, and what you find in the process is yourself. And I don't know, man. Every time I do a prep, I learn something new about myself. Like there's some new insight that I walk away and go, oh, that's pleasant. You know what I mean? Or ooh, I need to work on that. And there's always something.
0: That's that's literally why I wanted to do it because I I was you know injured to the point where I couldn't train the way I wanted to train for powerlifting, and I knew I wasn't gonna you know set any PRs in the state that I was in. I was like, I need something that challenges me mentally the same way that powerlifting did. And there was a point in my prep. I think I was two or three weeks or it was, it was a week and a half out. I just spoke at the Swiss symposium. I was fucking exhausted. We got home. Olivia went to Orlando to uh, one of Jason Phillips seminars. And I was home alone with the dogs. Like I'm going to take the dogs for a walk. And I remember walking the dogs at the dog park, bawling my eyes out because of how tired I was. And I was like, this is why I signed up for this, this moment right here to feel these feelings of hardship and to continue to put one foot in front of the other. This is why I'm doing it. And I think so many people miss out on that because they're looking for either a quick fix or, you know, the, the next refeed or whatever it might be when that hardship is so incredibly valuable, not to mention being as structured as I was during that time. Business was like awesome.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, I, for me, the hardships, like just reminded me about how lucky I was to be able to do it all in the first place. Like, you know, and I told, I was having this conversation with my wife, I said, you know, if I, I loved baseball, most people know about me, like I can't watch baseball still to this day because how much I loved it. But when I had that skateboard accident, took it away from me. Um, I don't know if I ever could have gone pro there, probably not. But to have something I, I wanted to as a kid try to go pro because I was good mm-hmm. at it, uh bothered me. And then in bodybuilding, I knew I could never, ever, ever get that pro card because of the symmetry. But man, if it just didn't make me feel something about myself, then I'm like, look. Paul here has nothing wrong with him. I have something wrong with me. And in fact, in 2016, Jason Theobald, <laughs> I, I laughed because I remember his response. So I was doing squats, the girl at the time, I come up with the seventh rep, my femur breaks around the rod on my right leg. Oh. And I rack it and I like, catch myself. And I remember I laid there, I was like, so this is how it ends. And I was like, no, nah, no, fuck that. So I crawled over to the leg press next time. I tried to do a rep, I couldn't do it. And so I like stood up, and then she's like, "All right, all right, we need to go to the hospital. That looks bad." And I'm like, "Nope, I'm fine. There's nothing they could do because I knew the rod would hold, and I knew the bone broke around the rod because I had had something similar before." And she goes, "Okay, what are you going to do? Rest?" And I was like, "No, I'm going to go get on the stepmill and jump on my left foot." So I just proceeded to do the stepmill for the next four weeks straight with just one foot. My left leg is by historically my bad leg. It's the one that. I never broke, but a doctor's hand forever deformed by a Frankenstein shit should never done. And I ended up placing second back to back those weeks. I said, Scoob the picture the next day and he he literally texted me. I was like, are you sure this is a good idea? And I was like, just finish this for me. I don't want to think. Holy fuck. And so I did. I got the pictures in my book. I tell the story. I show you the picture of what it looked like the day I woke up. I fractured legs all fucked up, swollen, not a cut on it. And then I end up taking a second back, back, and up beating a few people. Uh, getting that. So that's one of those things where it was a moment. Like, I was like, how does the, how do I want this to end? Do I want to be like everybody else who blew their diet and was like, oh man, well, I, you know, I just had to pull out because of XYZ. No, 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 no. We know some no, no, people, no. we know why you pulled out on. And I wanted to be able to prove like nothing would stop me. And dude, I can't tell you how confident I became after doing that. And it would, I like, got already done shit in my life before then that had made me confident. But that was one of those like, all right, I can really just kind of like withstand some shit. All right, bring it. And then 2018, I, I remember, <laughs> I go see a psychic every so often because I think they're a good time. I'll tell everybody to do it. But, um, this guy grabbed me. I've seen him like three times, four times. I have to, you have to understand, when you leave here, this will be the hardest year of your life. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. Like, da 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 da, da. After, hop, after
0: hopping on a fucking Stairmaster, this is going to be the hardest year of your Dude, life. Okay, like, yeah, whatever, some,
1: well, then, not long after I have that, my business partner gets diagnosed. Um, some shit goes sideways with all oldest son, baby mama drama um my dog dies then my business partner dies and then i have to figure out how to buy the company and take on a hundred and twenty thousand dollar love him to be able to do it and like he like so it was one of those like i feel like had i not had that response by getting on the step little paul 2018 might have broke me
0: yep 100 and you know
1: so you know what i, I mean like i tell people yeah. i'm like i'm like even if you show up and you get the last placing ever there's pride in finishing something and yes. keeping the damn promise to yourself. There just is.
0: I totally agree with you. I think that's a fantastic way to to tie this off. But I do have a couple of quick hit questions for you. Sure. That have nothing to do with coaching. Are you ready? Sure. I was actually going to ask you a question.
1: It could be a simple answer. What's your okay, goal for You go this? first. Oh, you want me to go first on my yeah, own question? You go first.
0: You go first on the question.
1: Okay, so my question to you is, what's one big goal, one goal you're working on in 2024 that's something completely new for you? I'll share mine. Spirituality. Completely new for me. Spirituality is my goal for this year. Uncovering my roots of spirituality. What do I really believe? What really defines my spiritual side? Is my
0: goal for this year. And it's
1: something I've never done. I've never written it down.
0: Uh. I'm asking for help. That's something that I have never actually done within my business. Badass. Yep. I've never actually asked for someone or a service or a company to help me with anything. And now I'm doing that. Proud of you. That's how you grow, baby. Yeah. Yeah. It's been pretty cool. Um, What is one album you could listen to with no skips? Oh, wow. Wow. Metallica and Justice Raw. Okay. Do you crack an egg on a flat surface or the side of the pan? Side of the pan. Okay. What animal does it on a hard surface? Bacteria. Chefs.
1: Why <laughs> 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 I don't eat eggs?
0: <laughs> five people at a dinner table, dead or alive. You plus five. Oh, wow. Let's see.
1: I definitely go with. Uh, Robert Green. Oh, good choice. I would go with Nietzsche. Nietzsche's. I would definitely probably want to have a conversation with um. General Sherman. Okay. So I would definitely want to talk to John F. Kennedy, June. And I think my fifth one, you know, uh, everybody would wow dead or alive the fifth one i would probably want to talk to the oracle of delphi for my fifth one
0: you think jfk knows who killed
1: him 100 percent. that guy flew backwards then forwards or forwards then backwards it's two can't convince me otherwise sorry i'm a conspiracy theorist love it I, I I go deep down the holes ladies and gentlemen you guys watch me sometime on YouTube I'm
0: funny last question is if there is one person you would like me to interview on this podcast who would it be but the caveat is you have to help me get them on oh you
1: know I have a can I return a question back to you on this do you want to go like business that would be like high level with someone who sells businesses for a living and could do a deep dive on like Value assets and so forth from space. Or do you want someone like functional whiz guy? Uh, Because I could think either one. So it just matter of which one you let's want. Do, to
0: go. Let's do business. Because I got Austin later today. The functional oh, whiz wow. guy.
1: Okay. You know, I would actually go either. I'll put you in contact with Jason Roberson. He's one of my good friends. He does the ATG podcast with me and Scoob. Uh, He is actually part of Nashville Business Brokers here in Nashville. And he sells businesses that guy's giving me a lot of good financial stuff, but he is pretty good about understanding basics and numbers and things like that, man. And I don't know. I think that'd be a, a podcast that would be interesting because he's, he's made me kind of question what is the value of my own businesses? Like, right. well, is it, what is data? The value? Is this about, I don't know. It's really interesting. I think he's, he's brilliant. Um, he, he, I, I can't say enough good things about him. He's a very close friend of mine. So, love um, it. Yeah, I think he'd be world. Event. We have him actually presenting in our seminar in two weeks, and he goes, "All right, I'm just going to help people understand how to how to like hold on to their businesses financially." I'm like, "Good. Most people in the way knows how to do that." And I think our industry is is not littered now. Mean this bad way, insulting way, which is why I say it. So people are like, "Why? Who the hell is this guy? Why the hell should I listen?" A lot of us got our starts just by people wanting to hire us, which means we did it through Venmo, PayPal, cash, check, blah, blah, blah. There's no real books. There's no LLCs. There's no this. There's no that. You don't. it never hurts to hear how to really put a business together because there's so many times that I've gone back through my business. Like, shit, I was supposed to do that year too. Fuck. All right. You know what I mean? I'm like, yes, we're doing this now. And then you got to go do it. So I don't know. I think that'd be the conversation.
0: I would love that. Jeff, thank you so much for your time today. I feel like thank we could you. have talked forever, man. It's
1: yeah, uh, I like talking. You have to come down to Nashville sometime where you're all leave your communist country, Canada, and
0: have a bourbon and some stuff with me and, and just chat. Uh, well, I, was thinking, I was thinking podcasts. on our drive home, we might just cut through Knoxville. Oh, I'm in Nashville. So I'm Nashville. Okay. Like Actually, Knoxville, Knoxville's the better city than Nashville. <laughs> I, I'll I'll Google it and I'll let you know. But I think I think Nashville could be on the way.
1: Yo, if you do, let me know because I do all my stuff in person for my podcast now. Uh, we actually are starting to try to monetize it so I could start flying guests in and do a whole bunch of stuff quarterly. And Scoob's actually driving down from Cincinnati. So, yeah, let me know, man. Love yeah. to have you. If not, we could do something online even.
0: Definitely will. Jeff, thank you so much, everyone. Thank you thank so you. much for joining us. Please make sure to like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell for notifications. And we'll catch you on the next one.